This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Do you ever wonder why there are so few options in healthcare? Do you ever wonder why some procedures seem so overpriced? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. You know, the answer to those questions could be summed up with two words, no competition. And, and one of the biggest reasons is something called CON, which stands for Certificate of Need. Now, if you follow healthcare policy, you know how this works. It's been going on for decades. Basically, states create boards which have the authority to approve or nix any kind of medical equipment, service, or facility. States that are serious about healthcare reform are repealing CON, and one of the most visible or most notable victories of late took place in South Carolina where the legislature not only repealed Khan, but another competition killer that few people, even policy people, are aware takes place. Um, I've invited onto the podcast Dr. Marcello Hockman. He is the president of Independent Doctors of South Carolina and someone who has been very active in trying to create a more competitive playing field in healthcare. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, Dr. Hawkman, the, the first time we chatted was in 2019, and you had contacted the Heartland Institute about reforms that were enacted that you were trying to get the legislature to enact back then, uh, including repealing CON. Uh, it's hard to believe it's four years later, and this is just now finally happening. I, I want to get into the mechanics on how that happened in just a moment, but Four years is a pretty long time. What does this say about the healthcare system in general? Why these things take so long to undo? Well, I think that um, that's actually probably a lesson that we all should learn in general is that once there is a law, it's really hard to get rid of it. So we should think <laughs> very carefully about passing laws. But basically that's what happened with the CON is that it um, – it was a federal law, you know, 30, 40 years ago almost, and um, and uh, the states, you know, jumped on it as a requirement. The feds then decided or realized, not decided, but realized that it really wasn't working. But by the time you have that law in place, you now have special interests. And, mm. of course, once you have special interests, then you have – you know, competition for <laughs> which special interest is going to to win, you know, and that's what's happened over the last few decades is that once a law is in place and the stakeholders are adapting to the law, you get more and more and more entrenched and then you've got competing special interests and self-interests and all that. And now you have to convince legislators that, oh, you know what, we need to get rid of this. Well, it's, it's a process, you know, so. Yeah, and, and those special interests get quite large when there's no competition because this law basically protects their markets, so it makes it even tougher. Um, right, I mean, and, and in yeah. healthcare, of course, we're talking about, you know, very, very large financial interests and, uh, you know, very influential players, and, you know, they're big 
you know, big parts of our economy. So, yeah, it gets it gets very complicated. Yeah. Now, now this bill in South Carolina that Governor McMaster signed into law on May 17th, it's quite sweeping. Uh, Not only did it remove most of certificate of need, uh, but it added in a provision that banded that banned another anti-competitive practice that a lot of people were unaware was taking place. Uh, Could you talk about this? Sure, and I assume you're talking about the um, economic credentialing of physicians? Yeah. Which, um, so one of the things that happened during this process is as it became clear over the years that the will of the legislature was, you know what, this really is a bad idea, and we're looking more and more seriously towards reforming or repealing the CON requirement, what was happening in the background is that, again, special interests, you know, start trying to figure out how are they going to protect that interest. So one of the things that came up in the background was that hospitals were then asking um, on applications to join or renew your privileges at a hospital. So the hospital gives a physician the privilege of practicing at that hospital, you know, of using those facilities, which is fine. But what they did is that they started thinking that if we start finding out which physicians have competing financial interests, for example, family members or self that are involved in a surgery center or, you know, are you or your family members um, on the board of directors of any facilities that compete with this hospital? You know, that I mean, literally, there were 10 different questions of that sort on an application for, my, for me, you know, that every, that's yeah. to renew privileges. And that's how I became aware of it, actually. And then I started kind of looking around. (laughs) And sure enough, in the background, what had happened is that legally, you know, the hospitals were trying to find out or figure out, well, if the con is going to go away, if the CLN is going to go away, then what are other ways that we might be able to control, you know, and maximize the use of a hospital? Well, part of it is by trying to keep out doctors that have competing interests in other facilities, which create a real problem for patients, actually. I mean, that's really what, what the, um, where the real issue is, you know. And um, so anyway, so once we became aware of it um, and let the legislators know, then a couple of them got more interested in that. And again, it just kind of all started building on each other. And eventually one of the senators actually put that in as an amendment to the bill. And it passed. That's incredible. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it was like a bonus. I mean, we didn't even have to fight for it. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, that's all good. Um, now, can you describe how certificate of need and this credentialing process uh, seem to put the brakes on competition, and and how that did impact patients in terms of price and access? Sure. So, I mean, there's no other part of the economy that doesn't benefit from competition and meaning that you know patients or the consumers if you want to call them that have choices and they have options so when you and i you know go to lowe's and we look across the street we see a home depot you know and the reason that they place each other across the street is because it's better for everybody prices are better 
if you don't see an option, you know, here, I know I can go across the street, which makes me think that maybe I should carry that product, you know? And um, so all in all, that ends up being better for the consumer. In healthcare, what has happened over time is, again, as a result of the certificate of need, the not only was the process one that you had to get a uh, permission slip, essentially, from the state, as you mentioned in your introduction, you know, to, to build something or to expand something or to provide a service. South Carolina had the ninth most restrictive law in the country. But not only did you have to prove to the state that there was a need, quote unquote, but the people who already had certificates of need could veto or at least um, could um, um, contest the application of a new entry into their space. So it's as if Lowe's, not only could they say, we don't want Home Depot across the street, but they actually were able to block Home Depot from building it. So that is protectionism because the state was allowing that and and it was part of the process. And that's very bad because now you only have one thing. It's like, you know, again, you could use any part of the economy. You could use a restaurant, you could use a bar, (laughs) you could use a, you know, a supermarket. I mean, you can use anything and the less options there are, the more, the um the um the prices go up right and then the quality yeah. can suffer because there's nothing to keep it higher so that's exactly what's happened in healthcare is that the big systems have been able to keep birthing centers drug rehab centers expansion of independent mri centers. i mean honestly i mean there's mm. just a list a list of things so that you had to, for example, in Charleston, where I live, um, you know, you could not have a breast biopsy done or a carpal tunnel release, two very common, very simple, very quick, inexpensive in terms of actual uh, costs. You could not have either one of those things done outside of a hospital-owned facility, which means that you're paying hospital prices now. Oh, yeah. As opposed to where you could have something done in a surgery center. And, you know, I mean, I've had my carpal tunnel done and it literally took five minutes. And, you know, and it, it's in a hospital, it's $15,000, you know. And in, a, in an office setting, it could be, you know, less than five. Yeah. Well, that's I, what happens when you don't have competition. Well, so. you know, I think everybody has a story like that. For me, it was carpal tunnel. And I had, uh, I was getting, a, I needed to get a, a cortisone injection in my wrist. And I had a doctor who was doing this independently, charging me a very reasonable fee. And then he retired. And then I couldn't find anybody willing to do that. So I ended up getting a physician who was an employee of a hospital. I didn't realize it at the time. When it was all said and done, I got a $1,900 bill for injecting a $20 drug into my yep. wrist. Oh, exactly. my goodness. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, we talked about entrenched interests, and many of these are huge hospital systems that fight uh, to protect their market. Um, what, did, what did it take this time to get this bill over the finish line? Um, I think, honestly, that it was just... Um you know, educating the legislators, you know, I mean, they, um, and they will admit that they're, 
knowledge base is, you know, one inch deep and, you know, about five miles wide, you know, I mean, they have to keep track of so many different things. But over time, um, you know, at the time when we started all this, I was president of a, of a different organization and um, we got through a whole legislative session and felt pretty good. And then COVID hit, you know. Yeah, we had to start all over again, you know, with a different session. And so, I mean, it really isn't any one thing other than, I think, perseverance. And and again, when you have a good issue, you know, when you have something that really does make sense, it's just a matter of making sure that the legislators feel comfortable voting or that whatever that issue is, you know, is they're being held responsible by their constituents, you know, and. At the constituent level, you've got community hospitals and, you know, very influential entities that um, put a lot of pressure. At the very end of it all, it just, there was no argument that the hospitals could make that that really made it all that, um, it wasn't very sympathetic anymore. You know I mean? Basically mm. it was very clear that it's to protect their financial well being, And, you know, there was so much data that show that uh, patients suffer, that communities suffer, you know, and all that. And even in South Carolina, we have examples of that. Um, so it just, over time, it just became clearer. Yeah. <laughs> it always been pretty clear to me, but, you know, it became clearer. And, um, and finally we got, you know, a, a coalition of uh, different organizations and uh, working together and with the same message and and we finally got a legislator who the chairwoman of the committee where the bill sat was very influential in in, um, in getting it passed you know because she believed in it and there you have it you know at the end of the the session, you know, we had a bill that had passed along with an amendment that we weren't even yeah. expecting, you know. Right. Which was yeah. Nice, so. And when it comes to politics, I mean, you just have to have sometimes the planets aligned in a certain way, you know. Um, it has to be the right environment. So I guess patience is always um, always needed in yeah. this process. In the environment, truly, I mean, in South Carolina, actually not even in South Carolina, I think the environment in general is very ripe for anything that gives patients more options. I mean, and even if you extrapolate to the, you know, even biggest picture, which is the debt, you know, the national debt, you know, even at that level, um, you know, healthcare is a giant portion of that, you know, and if you then bring it down to the very local level, it's about having an option, just like you, when you didn't have an option, all of a sudden you were paying, you know, five times as much for the same service for no reason other than you didn't have an option. So if you multiply that by millions of transactions, you know, millions and millions and millions of transactions, you can see where the prices that we pay have very little bearing to the actual costs. And that is where options and giving people, um, you know, a way out, you know, just give me a choice. And then, you know, slowly people will be able to, you know, to to take advantage of those choices and things will change. But um, I think the environment in general is very ripe for anything that will give an individual 
more choices. Yeah. At least I'd, I'd hope that's the case. So. Now, next year, you're hoping the legislature will address this issue of non-compete clauses uh, that healthcare professionals are required to sign, uh, especially when they do work for a large uh, hospital organization, for example. Uh, tell us how this does play out in healthcare. And, and how big of a challenge do you think it will be to ban this practice? Some states have done sure. it, right? Like Indiana just oh, recently. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there are about half of the states already um, exempt healthcare providers, and that could be physicians or nurses or pharmacists. I mean, there's different states do different things, but already exempt healthcare um, professionals from non-compete clauses. And basically a non-compete clause is something that is become so ubiquitous in everything, you know, and um, and basically it only benefits the employer, you know, whoever that may be, um, by keeping their employee from being able to open up a competing uh, venture, you know, in the same area or for a certain period of time. For the way it works in healthcare for physicians or doctors in particular is that when a physician gets employed, and again, it doesn't have to be even by a, a system. It tends to be most commonly by a hospital, but it could be even a physician-owned group mm. that has a non-compete clause, uh, which I'm against. I mean, I think non-compete should go away, period. But um, So basically what it does is that up front, you are signing away your ability to, you know, a few years down the road or six months down the road or whatever, if this just doesn't work for you or you change your mind, you now have to move somewhere just geographically outside of the non-compete clause for a certain period of time. And, you know, people have families and, you know, on the other side of this, which is the part which is where ethically it's a real problem, is that patients don't have the, the ability to follow their doctor. Yeah. So, for example, if you're an elderly patient and you're being seen by Dr. Jones, whom you really like, and now she, you know, has to move 25 miles away because that's where her non-compete clause is. And for you, that may be an obstacle, an obstacle that is not surmountable, right? So from the patient's point of view, this is a bad thing. You know, again, it minimizes options and it herds the patients within the systems by insurance plans and by, you know, just networks and that kind of thing. So um, the, um, the I don't have a problem, and most people who actually start thinking and talking about this, I don't have a problem with negotiated um restrictive covenant. So let's say, you know, you and I go into a practice together and you're hiring me and um, and you say, you know what, if you leave me in the first year, you know, you owe me $30,000 because we're going to be spending time on marketing and we're going to be setting up your office. And I say, well, you know, I think that's a little bit much. Maybe let's do 20000 Fine. If you leave me in the second year, you know, maybe you owe me 15000 whatever. Whatever it is, whatever the details are, you and, now, and I now have an exit plan if it doesn't work out for either one mm. of us, right? Right. The problem is that the hospitals have these blanket 
non-compete clauses for everybody. So yeah. you're a new employee, and as part of your package, you are signing a non-compete clause. Um, I mean, they may give you a check for $1,000, so now you have received something in kind for signing that, but it's not negotiable, you know, and that's the issue. So young doctors coming out of training sign a non-compete clause, and three to five years later, they decide they want to go and do something on their own, and guess what? <laughs> yeah, and there's a problem. Think about yeah. it. A new doctor has, prop, you know, probably tens of thousands of dollars in medical school debt, you know, and you could see why they hundreds. would want hundreds. <laughs> yeah, and and so they may feel compelled to sign these agreements, and then what ends up happening is you stymie even um, innovations in healthcare practice models, even if they just wanted to leave, not like you said, signing on to a competitor but just maybe trying something totally new, like direct care or whatever, um, they would be sure. prohibited from doing it with these agreements. So they can be a real problem. So um, we, had, you know, yeah. we had wanted to pursue this this time around, but um, it is, um, it actually, we actually had it in, uh, as an amendment to the bill, which actually eventually got passed. And it was dropped sort of as a negotiating thing uh, because it would have killed everything. But that also goes to show you that the non-compete agreement is more important to the hospitals than the CON is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <because> so <laughs> they were okay with going along with it, but <laughs> let's drop that other one. So next year, yeah. that's one of the things that we're going to pursue is, you know, again, and I think the environment is right for giving people the option to do different things and protect the patient's rights to see whoever they want. Yeah. And um, now you you represent this group called Independent Doctors of South Carolina. Are there similar groups in other states? And and what are your top? What do you do? What what are your priorities? Yeah. So currently, I'm the the new president of Indie Doc, and um, it is an organization that was founded here in South Carolina less than ten years ago. And again, COVID kind of stymied some of what they were doing. So I'm um, now that I'm no longer the president at Charleston County Medical Society, I decided to, to get involved with this. And basically, it's a statewide organization of independent doctors, so doctors who are not employed by a, um, in a practice in which they don't have ownership. So you can still work in a group practice, you know, physician-owned or whatever. And we actually have an affiliate membership for physicians, any physician, regardless of their employment, who may be interested in independent practice, you know, who, you know, again, it's, it's, it's seen nowadays as something which is not possible to do. Yeah. And we want to change that. We want to give medical students and residents, um, you know, a glimpse into what it, it can be, regardless of your specialty. And for those who are already in practice to have an organization that the agenda of which is, purely about protecting the doctor-patient relationship and that's what the organization is about yeah because uh you know we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before when you're an employee somewhere you're really responsible to your employer not necessarily the patient and you know we've talked about this sure i mean in that and that's doctor <laughs> that's <measure. the> <laughs> right? yeah <laughs> I yeah, mean, that is. I mean, if you're an employee, then the agenda of your employer is the agenda. 
And that, for medicine, doesn't quite always work. Yeah. Well, this has all been a great discussion. Thank you so much, and and congratulations no, again you. for for doing this and getting it all over the finish line. Um, I think a lot of people who are, you know, practicing patients would be happy to know that it did work in South Carolina. Maybe they yeah, should. Yeah, it's one of those issues, you know, that you know when you, when most people don't know what the certificate of need is. But then when you explain to how it affects every single one of us, um, it, then it makes sense. Yeah. You know? So um, so anyway, so it's good. Yeah. Again, options and choices are always good. Well, great. Well, do keep us posted on your work. We'll be watching what happens next year. And because I know the legislature wrapped up by, I think, in South Carolina or part time. So all good. And um who knows? Uh, you'll you'll be a model, I, I suppose, for for a number of other states that are still trying to yeah. pass some of these reforms. You know, what's interesting is historically, South Carolina has been one of these states that incrementally does something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It takes decades, you know, and all of a sudden, unanimously in both chambers, this thing got passed. Yeah. So it's a big deal. It That's really great. is a big deal. So hopefully, yeah, other states will will follow suit. Well, awesome. Well, thanks again for your time. Uh, it was Dr. great talking to you. Dr. Marcello Hawkman is a surgeon in the Charleston area of South Carolina with an active practice and the president of Indie Docs of South Carolina. And I will include a link to that organization in the podcast notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this discussion, please share the link. Become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast if you're not already. It's a great way, along with healthcare news and the Heartland Daily News, to stay on top of public policies that preserve the free market. Thanks for joining us. This is Anne Marie Schieber.